0: Attention, this is not legal advice. If you are experiencing a legal
1: emergency, contact an attorney or your local public defender's office. The views expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect the views of gin and justice. about justice. Hey,
0: let's talk about justice after I feel like so long. I'm Justine. I'm Amanda. (laughs) Welcome to a legal brief after a small hiatus (laughs) with Jen and Justice.
1: Yeah, guys, sorry we've been missing
0: in action. As some of you know, we have been impacted by the hurricane, Hurricane Ian.
1: I'm recording from a closet at my dad's house. (laughs) (laughs) I'm recording from my mother's house yes we're still both
0: displaced but we're making it work yeah also feeling very grateful yeah i have two pit bulls and uh it's very difficult for those people who own pit bulls it's very difficult to find housing in general especially mm-hmm. on an emergency basis yes so grateful that i had a place to go with my two I mean, pit bulls.
1: Like a <laughs> retirement community right now everybody's been very nice to us so far <laughs> oh well I'm that's good literally the youngest person yet. i mean you're practically retired um
0: <laughs> you know attitude anyways mm-hmm. <laughs> you fit in with the retirement community you're an old soul yes yeah, because i don't want to work anymore oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah
1: so everything sucks but we're good we're gonna be okay you know what
0: you could do to help us you could leave us a review yes,
1: please just give us a goddamn review <laughs> we actually have some people who had left us reviews during the
0: hiatus which is surprising because we weren't urging them to and they were so thank you to those of you who are leaving us a review apple Podcasts or spotify both of those places you can leave us a review i think maybe amazon music you can as well and i think that's pretty much it and that gets these stories spread further and that's why we're doing it so we are uh, going to talk about a little bit of a controversial, I mean, not controversial to us, but controversial decision that has been made recently. And, Here in Florida. And that is in the case against Nicholas Cruz, who was the gunman in the Marjorie Stone Douglas school shooting in February, actually February 14th of 2018, where 17 students were tragically killed in a school shooting. Yeah. He pled guilty. He did. And it's interesting because, you know, as a prosecutor, right? And I've seen this happen time and time again in person, in, you know, the courtrooms that I practice in where a defendant will offer to plea. Which saves the trial, right? Saves the taxpayers' money, saves jurors' time. Because let me tell you, the forty dollars a day that they pay you, I'm sure, Mm -hmm. doesn't cover what you are missing at
1: work, and the trauma of having to hear all of that, right? For everybody involved,
0: who did not choose to practice law, or be police officers, or get involved. Typically, those people are excluded from juries, you know, once jury selection begins in a criminal case. So it saves them from having to see autopsy photos, crime scene photos, all of that horrific traumatic and the families again, right? Right. The families see it because they're generally in the courtroom. And so I've seen it happen where a defendant offers to plea to life in prison, which let me just remind you, nobody's getting away with anything at that point, especially nobody's getting away with anything. Right.
1: They're notoriously bad. Like the worst.
0: (laughs) And the prosecutor says, Nope, I am like that determined to get you sentenced to death. And then we have a situation like we just had in the Nicholas Cruz case, where the jury, after hearing all of the aggravating and mitigating factors, despite finding all of the aggravating factors, which in Florida, I'll go over those in a second, they came back with a recommendation of life in prison. Basically, he got the same sentence had the prosecutor saved all that time and money mm-hmm. and jurors time and money um, if they would have just allowed him to plea to life. Right. There are certainly family members who are upset about this. There are members of the community who are upset about this. I personally think it was the right decision to sentence him to life. Mm-hmm, uh, yes, it's egregious that, you know, this is a young man who killed 17 other people. I think that he should have
1: to live with that decision that he made for the rest of his life in prison.
0: Right. Exactly.
1: I think that's an adequate punishment.
0: Right. That's what was decided here. And, you know, just hearing the reactions of people is kind of outraging in itself. Mm -hmm. You know, and I I don't want to take away from the tragedy that these family members have been through, but the defense put on evidence that this Nicholas Cruz uh was born with fetal alcohol syndrome his mother abused drugs and alcohol throughout his entire pregnancy and as a result he had several developmental issues growing up which his then adoptive parents never really tended to mm-hmm. and so he developed with all of these issues so the defense put on a strong basically plea of mitigating factors mm-hmm. of mental illness and mental health issues that essentially were never addressed and there were three jurors who voted for life in florida you need a unanimous meaning every single juror needs to vote for the death penalty Mm -hmm. in order for somebody to be sentenced to death you know this is a young man who was i think he was eight what 18 at the time of this
1: 17 or 18 i don't remember
0: well he had to have been an adult he had to have been 18 because um he would not be able to be facing the death penalty If he was a minor at the time, you know, I looked at the Death Penalty Information Center, which is a resource that we've cited and used a lot deathpenaltyinfo.org, and they likened this to the Aurora, Colorado movie theater shooting, if you recall Mm -hmm. that. And the same thing happened in that situation where, you know, 12 people had been killed in a movie theater in Colorado in a shooting, and the defendant, James Holmes, was also sentenced to life in prison over death. And the jurors basically had said because of his severe mental illness, Mm -hmm. and it was actually, I think it was the same thing, three jurors in that case as well said that they voted for life. So now an interesting twist to this Nicholas Cruz case is that the prosecution has filed a motion to basically investigate what went on in the jury room because... One juror is alleging that they were threatened by another juror. And so my, yeah, so my concern here is, is that based on the governor, right, the governor has made open statements about how that was the wrong verdict, Mm -hmm. which it's interesting how this country is so like adamant about the jury system until it doesn't work the way I want it. They want it to. Right. And so there's been so
1: wild to me that the way they want it to is to murder somebody else. Right. Like it just, right. the mentality just doesn't make sense to me I, and mm-hmm. like make it make sense to me because it just doesn't.
0: Right. It, at the death penalty info center, they had kind of put together a couple different shootings because unfortunately we live in a society where there's shootings every day. There's just a shooting mm-hmm. and rally the other morning. day and I had to text my friend and say, Hey, are you okay? And, uh, you know, that's, Unfortunately, the society we live in, and it seems that nobody really wants to address it or nobody knows how to address it. So we just keep moving forward and dealing with it. And, you know, that's where we are.
1: I don't know what the answer is to that, but it's because we're stuck arguing on the backside and what happens to the people afterwards instead of what we can do right. to prevent these things from happening.
0: Right, exactly. And so one of the shootings that had happened, I think it was in South Carolina at the church if you recall it mm-hmm. was at a the Mother Emanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church in Charleston Dylan Roof was sentenced to death and victims families in that case basically were interviewed after the the uh, life sentence in this case and they stated something to the effect of we know you're hurting but at least you don't have this death sentence ho- hanging over your head and mm-hmm. and those family members have said that the death verdict in the Dylan roof case
1: mm-hmm.
0: had actually is actually making it harder for them to heal.
1: Right. Which we've heard before. Them over and over again.
0: Right. Right. And so, and especially, um, people who come from, you know, not just religious backgrounds, but people who come from religious, religious backgrounds, having the weight of a death sentence above, yeah. you know, when, when the teachings are of forgiveness, right. People just shouldn't have that on them. Period. Exactly. Like, What are we doing? Exactly. And just to, um, I thought the defense attorney, obviously, they did a good job when they were summarizing, you know, the mitigation arguments in the Nicholas Cruz case. Melissa McNeil, she described Cruz as a brain damaged, broken, mentally ill person through no fault of his own. She continued to ask the jury in a civilized, humane society, do we kill brain damaged, mentally ill, broken people? I hope not and so that in contrast to the prosecutor who michael satz who was the former broward county state attorney he went on to tell that cruz was a cold-hearted notoriety-seeking sociopath who planned the rampage and carried out a systematic massacre in which he hunted his victims the appropriate sentence for nicholas cruz is the death penalty so you see the difference in how somebody is described hmm just from a an outside perspective, you know, which one of those is likely more true? Right. Anyways, and then just the you know, I I didn't know if we were gonna be touching on this subject or not. I figured we would touch on it, but you know, then just the
1: following outrage Mm -hmm. and the reactions is very Florida. Yeah. Very and the way things are played up on the media here. Oh, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. I just feel like there was n- no contrast, no perspective at all. It was just everybody's pissed about yeah. this. And it's like, right. I don't think that's true. Right, right. Because I think this was a great decision.
0: And, well, and to say and broadcast on the news, the family members saying the jury did us wrong. They denied us justice. Yeah, that's no. not true. The jury system is our system of justice here you know whether it's good or bad or indifferent whatever it is and we we see juries get things wrong all the time literally because we find out people are innocent decades later Mm -hmm. right but in a case such as this to broadcast and make jurors feel like their decision to not put somebody to death is wrong right is so wrong on so many levels and then for the governor to get on television and say, on a press conference, and say that the jury did something wrong yeah, and that they should have sentenced this young man to death when they did their job, which was considered the aggravating and the mitigating factors,
1: right?
0: and to put that on everyday citizens who don't choose to be prosecutors. I I, who and don't they didn't choose, choose to, be, to be there. Right. Right. But they were doing their civic duty. And for you know the running governor <clears throat> Charlie Chris, to tweet out that the only sentence that is just is death. The Parkland families and community deserved that degree of justice, you know. And so that's both sides of the coin. We have the Republican governor Ron DeSantis saying that, and then we have the Democratic, yeah, well, whatever he is, yeah. Democratic or Republican. I guess it depends on what year. Right. Um, I'll just leave that at that, but. You know, so... He'll be
1: getting an email today at some point.
0: <laughs> so for them to get on, and it's and it's interesting because just going back to the family members, not all family members were outraged. They specifically talked to Robert Shentrup, whose sister was a victim of the shooting. And he had told the Washington Post that this trial had basically caused conflict in his family. His parents wanted the death penalty. He himself did not. Mm-hmm. And he basically stated about you know about Cruz. I haven't forgiven him. It's just I am wrestling with how culpable an individual can be when they are part of these much broader systems that clearly affect us. Right. And so for a young person to recognize that is tremendous. Right. You know, I'm glad that the death a death sentence will not be weighing on him. Although I guess we'll see what happens with this alleged. Jury threatening—that's going on. So, Unbelievable. so and just you know, for our listeners, I said I would get into the aggravating factors, and we've talked a little bit about it before in, in prior episodes on the death penalty specifically. But in order to sentence somebody to death in Florida, the jury has to find at least one aggravating factor—only um, one. They only have to find one, and those aggravating factors can be. The capital felony was committed by a person previously convicted of a felony and under sentence of imprisonment or placed on community control or on felony probation. So if you're a convicted felon and you commit a murder, that could be an aggravating factor. (laughs) Or if you're on probation and you commit murder, that could be an aggravating factor. The defendant was previously convicted of another capital felony or a felony involving the use or threat of violence to the person. So, you know, same deal the defendant knowingly created a great great risk of death to many persons the capital felony was committed while the defendant was engaged or was an accomplice in the commission of or an attempt to commit or flight after committing or attempting to commit any robbery sexual battery aggravated child abuse abuse of an elderly person or disabled adult resulting in great bodily harm permanent disability and permanent disfigurement arson burglary kidnapping aircraft piracy or unlawful throwing, placing, or discharging of a destructive device or bomb. The capital felony was committed for the purpose of avoiding or preventing a lawful arrest or effecting an escape from custody. So that's if you murder a law enforcement officer, that's what that one is. The capital felony was committed for pecuniary gain. So you did it for murder. The capital felony was committed to disrupt or hinder the lawful exercise of any governmental function or the enforcement of laws, which is really interesting Considering that's an aggravating factor and the whole January 6th thing was like a whole prevention of a government function. But anyways, the capital felony was especially heinous, atrocious or cruel. The capital felony was a homicide and was committed in a cold, calculated and premeditated manner without any pretense of moral or legal justification. The victim of the capital felony was a law enforcement officer engaged in the performance of his or her official duties. So there that is again, just to put that in there twice. The victim of the capital felony was an elected or appointed public official engaged in the performance of his or her official duties. If the motive for the capital felony was related in whole or in part to the victim's official capacity, the victim of the capital felony was a person less than 12 years of age. The victim of the capital felony was particularly vulnerable due to advanced age or disability, or because the defendant stood in a position of familial or custodial authority over the victim. The capital felony was committed by a criminal gang member. The capital felony was committed by a person designated as a sexual predator, or a person previously designated as a sexual predator who had the sexual predator designation removed. So I'm not sure if that's like someone was exonerated later and the yeah. designation was, was removed. Yeah, so. There's that. The capital felony was committed by a person subject to an injunction issued pursuant to uh, specific statutes or a foreign protection order that is accorded full faith and credit and was committed against a petitioner who obtained the injunction or protection order of any spouse, sibling or parent or petitioner. So if it's a domestic violence related situation where there is an injunction in place and you kill the person that you have an injunction or has an injunction or an order of protection against you. And so those are the aggravating factors. So there's quite a few that can be found. And, you know, I, I guess they found several in several that the I think they found all of the ones that the state attorneys argued in this case. Mm-hmm. Um obviously they didn't argue all of those, but right. they did um argue quite a few. And from my understanding, I did I did look for the verdict form and it's not published yet. I don't know if it will be, given that it's Florida, it probably will be because it is mm-hmm. public record. Right. But so I don't know. For sure, but from my understanding, they found all of the aggravating factors. So,
1: before we started the podcast, I used to have the same opinion as a lot of people do, I think, which is people that are definitely guilty of heinous crimes, who cares, you know, rid the world of them, whatever. I used to think like that until we started talking to people. And I just want to encourage people who are listening to this episode, if you haven't listened to, a couple of other episodes I'm about to mention to maybe go back and listen to them if you have that opinion. Chris Castillo, Journey of Hope, from violence to healing, he was murder victim families against the death penalty. Yeah, his
0: mother was murdered and he's very staunch against the death penalty.
1: And then we had multiple death row exonerees from Florida's who were
0: definitely
1: guilty. Yeah, people they were convicted. That's in quotes, by the way. Yes, you guys can't see. But (laughs) they were convicted of heinous crimes but they didn't commit them. And just listening to their stories really changed my entire view on the death penalty and really opened my eyes. And then we met with Chelsea Halstead from the Cornell center on the death penalty worldwide. That was like so much information about specifically how it affects women. So, you know, we loved that episode. Yeah. And like we have, (laughs) we've had a lot of people talk about the death penalty on the show and it really changed my entire view on it and i encourage everybody to just listen to these stories because these are real people and we shouldn't be doing this
0: and not only that but aside from the issues that are brought up in that the episode that we did with david garlock he -hmm. was not sentenced to death but he is guilty right he was guilty of murder and And he's an amazing human yeah and so just to hear from somebody who says yes i committed a murder here's why i committed it and here's how i have changed and who has now received a full pardon from the state of alabama which is like what i didn't even know they did pardons there
1: <laughs> he's an asset to the world now like we need yes <laughs> right right it's a touchy subject for me i get very heated about it
0: which is so funny because i do remember when we started um that, I really,
1: that, I really didn't have like we a strong did. We had conversations about, about
0: it. it. Yeah, because I remember us talking. And you know, one of us brought up Ted Bundy, and you know, I remember prior to us starting the podcast, you're like, "Yeah, if someone like him, he can." You know, yeah. who cares? Basically, he can go. People like that, I think the death penalty should happen right, right, for right. people like that. And you know, my position was kind of, but we can study people like that, which and is see duh. what went wrong, duh. right? Like, why aren't we like doing so this? we can prevent it in the future? And I think. that I grew up in New York and Mm -hmm. like Vermont. (laughs) So it was like very like not cool. And I didn't really realize until I think I started writing papers for like law school and and later on in college that the death penalty was still so prevalent in the South, really. Mm -hmm. I mean, not just the South, but so, yeah, it's really really interesting. And while we were absent, it was actually death penalty awareness day. Mm Mm-hmm. So normally we like to kind of release something special on death penalty awareness day. Uh, We were unable to do so. We were floating away, (laughs) but we're so glad to be back with you guys. We're so glad to be back releasing next week is our exoneration episode for all the exonerations for the month of October. So we're really excited to bring that to you. And then after that, we have a really exciting episode uh, getting back into addiction and the criminalization of addiction. So, substance, mm-hmm. the relation of substance use and substance abuse to the criminal justice system. So, and uh, mm-hmm. we get to meet with a, the executive director of a really great organization. So, we're excited to bring that to you as well.
1: Yeah. Hey, <laughs> leave us a review.
0: <laughs> Just a reminder leave us a review. Yeah. We hope you guys have a great week. Stay dry. <laughs> we'll see you next time on Gin and Justice. Bye. All editing for Gin and
1: Justice done by Gin and Justice Podcast. Artwork by Justin Cardone. Photography by Kimber Schwaeke.
0: We'll see you next time on Gin and Justice.